Welcome to Season 4 of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. This podcast is all about preventing burnout in the workplace by changing the systems that impact how mums show up at work. And sometimes those systems are part of our social infrastructure outside of work. In the first three seasons of the podcast, I interviewed researchers, DEI and HR experts, coaches and mental health experts. We talked a lot about individual change because that is what we think is within our control. But if we stop there, the collective change that we need will not happen. Only 13% of male senior managers spend time in caregiving compared to 52% of female senior managers. This season, I am therefore interviewing dads. Unless dads are more active participants in the home and more supportive leaders at work, working mums will continue to struggle, burn out, and miss out on leadership opportunities. Men have to make room for women to lead at work, and women have to make room for men to lead in the home. We can't make change alone, so I want to learn more about how we can support men to become active participants in the home and role models for caregiving leaders at work. And when mums thrive, the world benefits. This week, I'm learning from Art Eddy, who is a stay-at-home dad, ex-radio host, and the founder of The Art of Fatherhood. As an entrepreneur and lead parent, he has to find time to take a break often with his girls initiating that it's time to relax. Art supports other dads through his writing and communications, challenging how dads are often left out in key conversations. I hope you can learn as much from this conversation as I did. My name is Art Eddy. My wife and I are blessed with two daughters, Lily and Jordan. And for the most part, I work from home. My wife works from home since the pandemic, but I always was working from home, writing for different sites. But now I run my own site called The Art of Fatherhood. I acted as a stay-at-home dad once I got out of radio since my youngest was born around 2010. Became a stay-at-home dad for a little while, went through all those hurdles. And then pretty much like, even though I have a full-time job, I'm running my own business. I still make sure that if a kid needs to get picked up or something happens, say 90% of the time, I'm the one making sure that Monday through Friday, nine to five, while my wife's working, I'm taking care of the kids. Great. Thank you so much for that. And that really leads into my next question, which is how did you get there to play that role at work and home? Sure. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, I was working in radio around 2010. We saw the writing on the wall. I was working for a station in New Jersey and it wasn't like the biggest market. I worked in New York City for a bit and that was as much as I want. My goal was like, I can't wait to get to New York City. I want to get to one of the biggest markets. Obviously, it's the biggest market. I got there and it was right around my oldest when she was getting born and I wanted to be there for the ultrasound. I wanted to be there for certain important events before she was born. And I was just like, this is not conducive to our schedule. So I left the city and I worked at the radio station I worked before in New Jersey. And I was able to work from home, which was great. So my wife was, she was happy to do part-time with her job that she'd been working for a while. And I would go in on the days that she would have off. So I'd work from home at the radio station. And then I would go in to voice track my shift and all that good stuff. And then, like I said, when my second daughter came, it was the point where one of us should probably be the full stay-at-home parent. And 
She works in the medical device field. I work in radio. And we're like, all right, which one's more secure? We'll go with the medical device. So I became the stay-at-home dad. And plus, she wanted to keep on going with her career. I wanted to support her. She's a intelligent, bright woman. So I was like, all right, cool. And we had one daughter and we were going to have another one. It's like, all right, why don't we show that men or women can do whatever they want? So that was a lot of things. And then I just became the stay-at-home dad and it was great for the first. I never had the idea of being a stay-at-home dad. I went for uh, communications at the University of New Hampshire and I was going to think I was going to be in radio or TV and all that good stuff and never thought, oh, I'm going to be the stay-at-home dad. That's going to be cool. But that parlayed into a great field of working in the parenting space. Worked for a few other websites. I wrote did some freelancing for Yahoo and Bleacher Report and some other sites. Then I found my groove in the parenting world, and then I started my own thing, but they are of fathered. But like I said, the initial like, all right, I'm the stay-at-home dad, took a few months just to get that routine down, making sure that I was balancing time with both of my kids, especially my youngest was a newborn, but still trying to do stuff and entertain my toddler at the time, and also getting through the hurdles. Like I was having a conversation with a marketing rep with a company I might be doing some work with, they might be sponsoring my show. And she was just talking about, she said, oh, I'm so sorry. It's a momfluencer program, we call it. Sorry for all you dads. And I said, you know, actually, it's a good shock to the system if you do reach out to dads and show, like, the other side of the coin, right? Because women always get treated as second-class citizens in the workplace. So it's like, for guys to feel that way, whether they're feminists, pro-women, or just don't even think about it, but, like, having that, like, check being like, oh, okay, like, maybe it should be, like, parent-influencer. But if it's momfluencer and that's what you're going with, and she, she appreciated that. She's like, it's good. And I go, yeah, I think once you have daughters or even before that, like I was the youngest of three. My older siblings were, were women. So it was just like that. And I saw like certain things they would go through or my mom would go through. So as the youngest, you're the quiet one sometimes and you're picking up on things, right? So my wife always says, I think you being the youngest of three and being the only boy, you saw certain things and challenges that women went through. And that's why you made it seamless for her. And I was like, all right, cool. Thanks for, for that. But I've written many articles about just the experience of being the odd person out when the norms is having mom stay at home instead of the dads. And it's something that we can, my wife can share with our daughters about her experience in the workforce. And I can share my experience about being the odd person out in the at home parent circles, which for the most part is moms. Exactly. So can you describe a little more than what the art of fatherhood provides and how it supports other dads and what you've learned in this process? Yeah, I think having this fatherhood podcast is great, just in the sense that you can attest to this too with your field and your podcast. You get so much life experience from other people just sharing their ups and downs and things that they go through. And especially the topics you cover about burnout, talk about having your podcast, I'm guessing, like mine, is like a warm blanket for people to come in and be on guests and listen to. It's like, oh, Jacqueline also experienced that. I experienced that. So I'm not alone. So I don't feel weird having that. Yes, you want to be independent, but knowing the bad or the good things you're going through and having people that you can relate to, you're like, all right, it's not just me, is one of the reasons why I created The Art of Fatherhood, just for a place for dads to talk about their feelings. And yes, whether it's sports stars or celebrities or CEOs, bring down to a level that everybody, the every dad can relate to. I think people enjoy that part of my podcast. And then besides the podcast, I have articles, some are like almost like a dad onion style article where I do over the top dad stuff. Like I wrote an article like saying dad right reaches out to the TSA for families to come eight hours before their plane departs. And everyone's like, why would they do that? I'm like, it was just a joke 
you missed it, but let me explain. But then I'll be talking about some serious sides of stuff, especially during the pandemic, especially with social media and how it affects kids. And then I do a dad's doing it right uh, article every Tuesday, just showcasing dads and like whether it's a podcast, whether it's a vlog, whether it's just books or something that, hey, you might not know that this dad is out here or this, these groups of dads are out there to be support systems for you. Just bring everybody into the realm of fatherhood, seeing it from all sides. I have a bunch of different dads on just sharing all sides of their fatherhood journey. And it's just to the point where everyone belongs, everyone goes through certain things and everyone experiences different things. And that's a great way to see the forest through the trees and be like, oh, I might not have experienced this, but I should be more open and more sympathetic to it. So it's just trying <laughs> in a world of like quick social media bites or videos of people beating each other up. And it's more of like people stop trying to stop the fighting as, a, as opposed to, hey, I got to videotape this so my account goes viral. I'm just trying to create something that creates positivity, creates inclusion for all dads. And I think it's a great way for moms or women to take a look and seeing how guys react to being a dad or just certain situations in life. And have you, in your experience or during COVID or even pre to becoming a stay-at-home dad, have you or your wife experienced burnout? And how does that play into how you potentially manage burnout now? Because all of us know it's when you're working and parenting, it's a 150, 200% job. So it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah, great question. And I think it's, again, I applaud your podcast and just now more with like mental health and things that are going on that are becoming aware now in the past few years because I'm in my 40s, right? And it was that generation of Gen X where it was like, all right, you saw what the baby boomers did. You saw what different generations before you did and what they prioritized and what they thought was important. And for us, it was always like, try your best. You got to rub some dirt on it, suck it up and go. And so if probably in my teenage years or college years, I wouldn't really see it as burnout. It was just be like, oh, I got to keep on going. I got to keep on grinding that out. I got to show my grit. And then I would say not until it's tough for me because I always feel like I need to be there for everybody. So that's probably my burnout where I'm just like, I got to be there. Even on vacation or for hanging out, I'm the one like cleaning up the dishes and everyone's, can you just chill? Like I remember my wife threw me a 40th birthday party and I'm a clean freak that I inherited from my mom. Towards the end of the party, I'm like cleaning things up and everyone's like, stop doing that. Or like, we're just sitting around talking. I just feel like we need to do something, right? So there's a certain signs. It's great to have kids because they point that out. Dad, you need to chill. Can you just relax with us for a second? And I'm like, oh. And as much as I want to show them like, oh, you got to be there and do as much as you can. Like having them tell me, putting me in my place of having to relax, they're seeing it. All right. But I think it, it was most highlighted during this pandemic. There were so many fears. There were so many things. There was just on so many different levels on, is everyone going to be okay? Is it going to turn into the walking dead where everyone just starts fighting for themselves? And like maybe three months or four months into the pandemic where we didn't know when this was going to happen. My wife and I both started having burnouts on just like, all right, we just need to find ways to relax. We need to find ways to do things. And we found doing activities like cooking with our family, having our daughters, they'd be surprising us sometimes and making us like date night dinners that we just hang out. The girls would eat first and then we would eat second and they would like decorate the table and have this theme. So our kids are such a great way for us, even though we stress that, like stress so much about them and like they're never like turning that parenting brain off. Even when they go, like once they're done with college, I'm guessing it's still going to be hard to turn that off, but cause you're always a parent, but 
there are times where they balance us and it's like, just relax, just do something. When I was experiencing burnout, I was like, all right, let me just do something. And as you can tell, I know this is an audio podcast, but you can see all the tchotchkes and all the Star Wars stuff. I found myself like building Star Wars Legos just as a time where I was like, yes, I'm still doing something. It's not like I'm just sitting there doing nothing. So that itch of I needed to be doing something, it brings in my Star Wars fandom and I'm creating something. So it's like, all right, cool. It's like, I'm just enjoying listening to some music while I'm building that. So it was just finding some me time having some time where I don't feel like I have to do something for anybody else or especially since I run my own business, I always feel like I have to be doing something because if I'm not doing something, nothing's getting done. So during the pandemic, I think because of other companies and other people, like especially around the holidays, people were shutting down being like, yeah, we're shutting down a couple of days early, like marketing companies or businesses are like, we'll see you on the opposite side of the vacation, opposite side of the holiday. And that was great for me because I was like, well, I'm all caught up on my content work, can't really do any of my marketing work right now. So I'm like, I have to chill. So it was almost, some of it was forced on me, but other parts of me where I realized I'm like, this is not a good road to go down. If I keep on doing this, I'm really going to have some issues. So my kids, my wife, and just other factors that were forcing me to shut down helped. And that's such a good point, actually, because we talk about that. Can companies shut down? Not all of them can, but when they can shut down, it helps all the employees be able to disconnect. But yeah, the point you made, it also helps all the vendors and support services be able to disconnect too. And so a lot of entrepreneurs can do that when there is more of this full shutdown. Because if it's not, then of course, we're assuming we've got to be doing something. And I love your admission of the doing side, because it's such a risk for burnout. And I also love how your kids really can provide perspective on that. When I started to learn my husband's love language was quality time. I had to learn that I had to sit on the sofa with him and it was a good thing to do and watch football or whatever. It was, that was what he wanted. And this was me serving him in the way that I wanted to, but I didn't know that was like the best way to do it. So that really helped me. But I also think too, just in terms of the things your kids were doing for you there with the date nights, we need to involve our kids so much more in the household as a whole. We have these, what we call family meetings, that they come from this particular curriculum, which is called positive discipline, where the kids basically are problem solving things with you. You create an agenda and the kids problem solve. And so just you describing the kids doing day night for you, they kind of problem solve for you. They create a day night for you. And they're so much more creative and inventive than we are as problem solvers. And I love leveraging that out of my children. But again, I had to learn to do that. When I burned out myself, I was just the authoritarian parent trying to control everything. And it was definitely challenging. So listening, so, to, your, yeah. listening to your TED talk, like I could feel it in my bones. I could feel your pain just with certain things you were going through. And so you sharing that was, I think, just a big, I know you're getting probably a lot of response from it, but just you sharing that was like, yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. All right, cool. So it's great that you shared that, everything you were going through, because it's such a good resource. And actually, I remember speaking to my husband about it. He said, please do, because it's really hard for dads to know what the mums are going through as well. And he didn't know what to do when I was at my lowest points. It was really hard for him. So he really wanted me to share those mental health challenges because he said, no, we don't talk about it enough. And dads need to hear it too so that they can see, okay, yeah, there is another side to it. So tell me a little bit more what you think leaders and organizations can do to help dads more. I think just in the sense of, having that open conversation and realize one of the things I work in radio that 
kind of helped me in life is I, I like sports. I like movies. I'm a comic geek and all that other stuff. Not really a fan of fishing. Not really a fan of cars. I drive a van. That's my car. My wife's got the like cooler looking car, right? And like, I don't care. I'm like, it gets me to point A to point B and I'm doing the grocery shopping. I don't care. But you have to realize certain things that you might be thinking, your employees are thinking the exact same thing. And if the boss is a man and he is a dad, there are a lot of things that hopefully the things that he worries about that they can go to their employees and be like, hey, this person might be worrying about the exact same thing. Maybe I should give Fridays off or a half a day or especially during the pandemic. I'm wondering how many companies were like, yeah, I know everybody's at home and everyone's doing the schooling. So if you get your stuff done, take Friday off. And if you need to help your kids wrap up, there are certain things that I think bosses or leaders being like, oh, what would I want in life? I'd say probably most of the time your employees want that as well and have conversations do a questionnaire but i recently saw the idea of quiet quitting right where a lot of people aren't doing as much and i think that's just a shift in the generations where it's like people don't really consider their identity is their job and i think that's a great thing right and the people who are still maybe in charge is maybe the old white man who's i strapped up my bootstraps and I just kept on going and I walked uphill both ways in school with no shoes and that's how we did things and you got to do it too. Maybe that's not the answer. And I think having a survey and as much as it can be anonymous, that'd be great. But just getting a pulse of what everyone is feeling. Because I think I was watching someone talk about what if we change the salary and the hour rate to, hey, if you get your stuff done in a week, let's say when you first got to the job, you, you had five days, like the standard work day, Monday through Friday took you. Then three months into it, you start like grasping things, you start mastering certain things, right? So the stuff that took you five days, now it took you three days, right? You could incentivize, hey, you can work these three days, so you're going to get all this stuff done. And the next two days, you can have off, or we can give you more projects and you can have more, have a bigger salary. I'm like, that's a smart idea, right? Because it's going to be like, that's going to motivate people, not everybody, but it's, hey, they're recognizing me for what I'm doing. They appreciate my work. But you know what? This week, my kids has a field trip. I can actually go on a Thursday now because I got all my work done. Why don't I go do that? And so talk about a great work-life balance. When I talk to dads, one of the questions I used to ask was, how do you define a work-life balance? And they're like, and most of the time, people were just like, yeah, I don't really think about it or I don't really, shouldn't be a work-life balance. You should worry about your family and stuff first. And people said that's maybe cloud talk or anything, but I scrapped that question out because it just seemed like there was never a good answer or people really didn't enjoy me asking that question because that's a, definitely a tipping point or just a place where people get burned out because they always feel like there has to be a balance. I think, all right, you work your butt off this past week. There's not that many projects. We're slow. So you'll still get your same amount of pay for the week. But you know what? Take Thursday and Friday off. I think a lot of people will be like, this is insane. Like, yes, I'll work for a company for that. So I think it's just the idea of putting yourself to where your employees are at because there's probably a different range in salary. There's probably a different lifestyle, but just remember the grind. Remember where you were getting up there if you know you didn't come into this wealth, but you were working your butt off to get there. I think just remember those times you were putting in the grind and there would be certain days you could recharge your batteries, stop the burnout. So hopefully you're working for someone who not just cares about the bottom line, but cares about the employees. I just think if there was more of, let me put myself in my employee shoes, it'd be a lot better. And I think that's a little bit where there is this mismatch. Even surveys like Deloitte have shown that 
CEOs are claiming they're burned out and that they also care about their employees and know their employees are burned out, but their employees are saying you don't care. And there is this mismatch because I think what a CEO is going through, and again, like you mentioned, particularly if the chances are it's a white male CEO, his experience of burnout is going to be quite different from, for example, a a marginalized worker in the company who may be experiencing burnout due to workplace microaggressions, incivility, unequal pay. So there's so many different ways that people can burn out. But I think also what you mentioned about this mentality of I had to struggle, so you have to struggle. And I definitely have females who pass on the same message to me saying, why are my female leaders saying I had to struggle, so you have to struggle too? Definitely, When we start to shift away from that mentality, I definitely think it's going to be helpful. So if we shift a little bit more into the home, how can we help dads what support do dads need to play a bigger role in the home? You describe the process that, that you went through. How do you help other dads think through how they can step into that realm with confidence? And because obviously you were the odd one out when you stepped into that home realm. Can you help other dads embrace that? Yeah, no doubt. I think the biggest thing is you have to start off with a good routine. You have to get ready for certain things, right? You have to depending on what age you're being the stay-at-home dad or not even being a stay-at-home dad, but just if you're taking more roles at the home, I think it should be that way. It doesn't always have to be 50-50. It can just be like, you're going to lean on me this week. I'm going to lean on you next week or whatever. And it doesn't have to be tit for tat. It doesn't have to be all that ways. But like dads should find their routine. They should also do stuff that they want to do. I think in the beginning, you hear a lot of dads like, I couldn't connect with my kid because in the traditional sense, my wife would be nursing and all this other stuff. I just didn't feel any connections. And I say to new dads, talk to your child while they're in your spouse's womb. As weird as that sounds, there's a great way of connecting and they'll hear your voice. When you hold them for the first time, you speak to them, there is going to be some recognition, I believe. And do bath time. Bath time, a lot of dads say bath time is my time because I get home from work and it's just letting your partner just chill. And we do bath time. We'll do some fun stuff. We'll read. Will dance depending on how old they are or whatever the case may be and having that and finding a routine that works for your family everything i just said might not work for your family so just work for your family find something that works for your family but you guys are in that relationship are showing equal parts of like how much you're putting into it as much as your partner is because as your kids get older they will see that and you always want i don't care who my daughters end up with or even if they don't end up if they're fine being single cool do that. But if you're finding someone, I want them to see the relationship that I have with my wife being like, we got to be there. We got to step up. We got to make sure that we're all pulling our weight in, in this relationship. So my wife and I are always making sure that our kids see that. Nowadays, there's a lot of things where dads can find other dad groups in your area. We just Google, like there's a city dads group. NY City Dads was the first group that kind of does that. But now it's like in major cities and other places of the country, there's things and just research and even find like men's basketball or some type of sporting or hobby or that you're into, just try and find like 30 minutes, an hour or whatever, just so you have your independent person, not just your relationship and you as a dad, you got to make sure that you're recharging your batteries on all parts of yourself. And once you get that routine down, once you and your family find the right groove, it'll go so much easier and make sure you communicate with your spouse. And especially if you are having burnout, you're like, I'm sick and tired of making dinner this past week. Can you just do one of the things? Or maybe we, on the weekends, we meal prep for the whole week just so I can get some stuff done during the week and it's dinner time and all the other stuff. So 
be open. I remember my oldest and I were talking about something and I was like, hey, how you doing? You look like something's up. She said, no, I'm good. And I'm like, no, seriously, what's up? She said, no, I'm good. I'm like, look, I love you. You know, I care about you. I said, it'd be better for us instead of having this dance of going back and forth where I know something's up. You don't have to tell me right now if you don't want to, but I know that something is up. I'm like, just talk to me when you want to. I don't want to force you. Like, you don't have to do it right now. But I said, in the future, your partner will appreciate you being honest from the get-go. You're not playing this tug of war game, right? So I think communication, I always stress that in my podcasts and my articles and all that is key. So make sure you're not only speaking up with your spouse, but like guy friends or friends that you have, especially your guy friends, is like, hey, you guys are feeling this. Are you going through this too with your role as a dad? And they'll give you some pointers and all that. And you're going to probably gravitate towards advice of people you respect. I like the way that family operates. And I like the way that dad, how he plays his role in the family, right? So get advice, try and get a routine down and communicate, communicate, communicate. <laughs> Great advice, definitely. And yeah, I think that was definitely a part of our struggles in terms of that, that I wasn't communicating. I was keeping everything inside and had this whole manual that I expected everybody else to be following, but I never shared it with them. Yeah. Also too, I just wanted to say in your TED Talk, you were just talking about how you couldn't go to a doctor's appointment and you felt bad because you weren't there, but also you didn't want to th thank your husband because you're like, I do this all the time. That, man, that hit me in so many different ways too. And I was like, yep, been there. Like, I, I don't understand exactly what you were feeling there. And that's another thing too, because you have to express your own guilt to your partner, even if it's foolish guilt, you can still recognize it, that you're going through it. And I say foolish in the sense of like, you're worrying about it. But if you open up and you talk to someone in your family and you share that, and they're like, you don't have to worry. You missed one doctor appointment out of 10 the times you're there. Your batting average is 90. Like, no one in the best in the Hall of Fame can bat over 500. So you're doing good. So I just wanted to share that, too, because there's certain things that, oh, I always do this. You always don't have to do that. And I'm still learning that. <laughs> So I just wanted to share that as well. That's such important advice. But just sticking then with the mums a little bit, what do you wish mums did more of to help dads play this more active role? What are you seeing? Obviously, again, in your relationship, you guys work that out. But what are you seeing are the barriers that mums present to some of the dads you work with that we could change? I think it's like the Homer Simpson effect, right? Where it's like the idea of these dads look idiots they might care but all of a sudden they don't know what they're doing well of course you're not going to know what you're doing i remember the first time i tried to change my my daughter's diaper when she was a newborn in the hospital the nurse came and i'm trying and i'm like this is my daughter she's on a changing table i don't want to break her she's new all this other stuff and i was like being very gentle and all this stuff and she actually the nurse hip checked me like she's not going to break it she's not a porcelain doll you're not going to break her and she's this is how you do it i'm like okay thanks you're a little gruff but i'm not going to be that way when we get home so it's the idea of just getting comfortable and having the dad learn on his own. And he might ask you for advice to the speaking to the moms and the wives out there. He might ask you for advice, but let him tackle the certain things because you're going to be like, oh, no, he can't do this. And that's going to create like a big snowball effect where it's like you want him to do more. But the stuff he wants to do, you're not maybe letting him do. And then you also feel like, why don't I have some free time? Like, why I just want to go to Dunkin' Donuts and, or Starbucks and get a coffee. I just need that time. Dads and moms should most be preempted be like, hey, you had a long day, go get a Starbucks, go get your nails done, do whatever you can. Or even if it's, you don't have to buy something, just go for a walk or a window shop or whatever you want to do or play a game on your phone. Whatever it is, I'll take care of dinner. I'll take care of the bottle and all that other stuff. Just let the dads do stuff. And it's the same. Like I was 
man, sometimes I'd be a helicopter husband if I went on a media trip or something. Like, the kids eat right now, and it's past, like, our traditional time. She's like, don't worry, Art, they're not gremlins. They're not going to turn into evil monsters because we fed, we ate at 7 instead of 5.30. And I'm like, oh, okay, too. So, like, I can see maybe what moms do. If it's your own way of doing things and you get to point B from point A in a different route, who cares? And I'm still that way. <laughs> so it just takes a while. But moms just let the dads do their own thing and don't encourage this Homer Simpson behavior or ideology of being like, yeah, they care, but are they doing it correctly? They'll be fine. Yeah. And that comes from the moms, but that comes from society, like you say, because characters like Homer Simpson, like all these daddy daycare that basically make out men to be idiots as carers. And of course, then men don't want to be related to being a carer. I work with people who talk about caregiving and it doesn't resonate with men because again, it's an image that has not been associated with them. And when it is associated with them, it's negative. So again, I think how we can think of just one changing media, how important media is, but also then thinking about, okay, what are other words or that we can use that would then resonate with dads differently? Oh, and just, and for maybe women listening to this too, and this is going to sound like a mansplaining and I'm so sorry this will sound that way, but just if you want to flip the coin and see how he may feel during the times, you shouldn't change the diaper just yet until after the feeding and all that other stuff. Just think about the times you might get mansplained at a work conference or this or that or a business meeting or just at a meeting or if you're going somewhere and the guys like, you should just, you know, how anger and like all the stuff you were feeling when someone mansplains to you, it's almost like mom-splaining. There's mansplaining and there's mom-splaining. And again, trust me, I'm not trying to mansplain this. I'm just trying to share like something people can relate to. Exactly. I think it's so important because depending on our realm, we all do this because it does give us a sense of power to be able to do that. Well, the last, there's one area in my life that I'm in charge of. So no, I totally understand that for both sides. It's so important. So just to start to wrap up a little bit let's talk about you have talked about this in some ways with your daughters about their future partnerships and things like that but what sort of future home and work life do you want for your daughters and how do you think we get there it's tough because since this pandemic and since my daughters are 14 and 12 now and we've been having so many great conversations i especially nowadays kids are going to find things out, whether they're on their smartphones or friends or whatever the case may be. And another piece of advice, if you try and hide certain things or maybe not bring up certain topics in front of your kids, they're going to find it from some somewhere else. And it might not be, it could be the truth, but it might be something that they might not be able to handle right away, right? You know your kids better than anybody else, hopefully. And you'll have those conversations with them. I want my kids to be happy in any profession they want to do. And I think it always turns out like for me, it's like, I wanted to be an astronaut and I wanted to be a running back in the NFL and obviously that didn't happen and there's certain things that like just drove me to where I am and where my career is and I'm glad that I'm here at this space because I feel like this is making me a better dad because I'm hearing experiences from everybody else and I'm like this is my calling and this is my thing to do and it, it makes me a better husband and it makes me a better dad that's great so with that being said like I want my daughters to find what their passions are and they might not know it at this time they might not know it in college I, like I said, I was working in radio, doing all this stuff. There's some radio aspects. My podcast is like a quote unquote radio show, but I'm doing something that I had no idea I'd have this much passion until I became a dad. But I think it's just having them explore things and letting them do things on their own. Now that they're getting a lot older, they're cleaning their rooms. They're like trying to do their own laundry. They're doing all these other things where 
I want them to know. As stupid as it sounds, yesterday we were hanging out, we were playing basketball, and my kids were like, hey, I want to ride my bikes. And they haven't ridden their bikes in a while. And I was just like, all right, cool. And they had flat tires. And I'm like, oh, you got to put air in them. And I was going to go do it for them. They should know how to do this. And I'm like, all right, you guys do it. I'll help you. I'll be there if you need help. Just go and do it. And it was like, I should have done this earlier. I should have let them do this thing like by themselves earlier. So the more room we give them to grow, I think the better it's going to be for them to actually find what they want to do. And I just hope the education system and where they fall and what they think that their purpose in life is will be easier maybe than for me when I was trying to find out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to get there. And I want to encourage them. And my oldest, she loves writing. She wrote like a almost a 200-page story, and I read it, and I was giving her some critiques here and there. My youngest loves playing music. She's, she plays a saxophone, and we encourage her to follow her passion there. But she wants to become a veterinarian, and my oldest now wants to become a lawyer. So we're encouraging her, especially now in high school. It's like, all right, be part of the debate club or be part of this now because you're going to need those skills if you want to be a lawyer. And then also, too, you can find out if you want to be like speaking in public to people because that's going to be huge if you want to be a lawyer. But I think about this a lot, and I think about what avenues they can go down, cross, and through to as they get into the quote-unquote real world and they're on their own. But I hope that the passion that they have right now for the current professions they want still stays. But if it changes into something else, that's cool too. I tell them many of the times, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And look, and I just, what I explained to you, I explained to them a lot where it's, I had no idea I was going to be doing this, but I got into a profession where it's still connecting to people like in radio. But I said, just keep on finding your passions, keep on learning and ask as many questions, not just from me and your mom, but just from everybody, like teachers and other people you admire, maybe reach out to them. And I hopefully in the future, especially because I have daughters, will be more accepting of women can do whatever they want. And it sounds like a women's antiperspirant commercial, like women can do whatever they want, but it should be already that way. Like we're in 2022 and it's like, there should be no issues on judging by like the color of your skin or your gender or how you identify. And I hope we get to a point where that stuff doesn't really need to be the focus and finding positive ways to encourage people to find their dreams and to find ways to like make themselves happy will be better. And I hope that the mentality of I have a job, but that's not my identity. That's part of my identity. And that to me would be the best thing I could have for my daughters where they enjoy what they do. It's not all, it doesn't make them who they are, but it's part of it. And I know it's long winded and I'm going in different places, but it's just like a lot of things I think about since that question, I was just like, it's just, you can go so many different paths. And I'm just going to say, I just hope that they find a place where they're safe, they're secure in, in their profession. And if they, Halfway through the profession, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Listen to your inner voice and be like, all right, what do I want to do? And maybe make that switch because if you keep on going and going into this job that you hate, talk about burnout. That's just going to be more fuel to the fire. Exactly, exactly. Totally love where you're going with this. I read the book Raising Adults and I thought it was so important because essentially our children are children just for 18 years. And then we want to have this whole relationship with them for the rest of our life. So back to communication that you mentioned, you want to have a relationship with them that's going to last in the communication, but also in giving them the independence. We need them to have these life skills skills more than we need them to have many of their curricular related skills. That's what's going to help them be successful adults. And then also, I think your part about what do you want to be and all this. And I was definitely given the advice. My, my son is on the autism spectrum and definitely needed to have this sense of control over his life in a different way. 
And so that was what one coach suggested to us is ask him what his dreams are and then show he can realize those dreams today. Like he doesn't have to wait till he becomes a writer. He can start writing today. You can do writing camps and writing competitions and he can listen to podcasts and things. And I think even in Michelle Obama's book, it was like, how do you know these things when you're so young? And why do you have to wait? Why can't you just be doing the things you want to do? And that's what I see with the new generation. And one of my other guests had a lot of hope because he thinks the next generation's are one way more innovative than we are. They have so many more options at their fingertips on how to succeed, but they also have a different vision of how to succeed. I think back to something you were saying earlier, I really realized when I had done my TEDx talk that I met with a lot of young students who basically said, oh my God, you're just the same as my mum, and I don't know how to get her to stop because it was the same way as you saying you never sit down and so that was so fascinating that they could see that in their own mothers they didn't want that for their mums and they certainly didn't want it for their lives either I think it's so important that we think about this and really how we want the future to be um so just to before we wrap up have you got a favorite dad joke ready for me? Because again, we, we're talking about heavy stuff here and, and we do need to think about how we can keep moments light. I got a bunch of them because obviously like my wife will be like, I think you're just saying these things just for your own laughter. I'm like, yes, I don't care. I just say these things and it's like perfect for me. But one that I definitely love because I lived in New Hampshire for a bit, lived in the Northeast and all that. And now we're here in North Carolina and like I have not acclimated to the weather. I wear a shirt and shorts all through the seasons here, if you want to call them seasons here. But like when my kids get cold, I'm like, can you turn up the heat? And I'm like, hey, just go in the corner. And they're like, why? I'm like, because it's 90 degrees there. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's one of my favorites. I love it. Oh, that's a great one. Oh, my goodness. That is a good one. <laughs> I'm so loving all these dad jokes. And here's another one, too. Can I give you a bonus one? Is that cool? So one day we're eating grapes. I'm like, hey, grapes are good. And I know people like really enjoy grapes. But I said, we should also talk about uh, and get the word out about dry grapes. And they're like, huh? How do you do that? I'm like, it's all about raising awareness. <laughs> that one's worse. That one's even worse. Now, at the end of the day, I share whatever the guest shared with me. I'm sharing it with my kids. And they keep coming back with more and more dad type jokes. I love it. And that's what you were saying about how your work and life can interconnect. I'm doing the same. I'm telling them about the fact I'm interviewing dads and that I'm getting all these jokes and other things. And so, yeah, I think it makes me a better mom and makes them think, oh, that's interesting. Like, why are you interviewing dads? And even my son last night, he's 14. He's like, what would you interview me as a dad? <laughs> I'm like trying to do this mental gymnastics of Okay, when you would be a dad, I would say, and I was like, I just ask you about how you've created films in the world for other neurodivergent people. And it was just, it's fun. It's fun that what we do can have these conversations that spark our children to be inspired. So I'm also grateful for this ability to learn so much about parenting from my work. So just to end, let's wrap up with you having, again, you've given lots of advice today, but what would be one thing that dads could start today that you would really recommend for them to make this change? We got to start somewhere. So what would be a place that you may suggest dads to start? today be more vocal but in a positive way and not like a demanding way share your wants and desires about how you can contribute to the family and also too you're in a relationship where it's not the mom's got everything just be like hey you've always talked about like how you're so tired or how you don't have youth time let's just start slow 
have a Monday off or whatever the case may be. I'll take care of everything. You just have your own day and just be more vocal. And it doesn't have to be that extreme, but just, I know we said this before, communicate, but just be more vocal, but in a positive way and show that you can do as much as, and it should be a competition, but just so you can do as much and you're willing to do as much. Don't just be silent and be like, oh, that's the role. She'll call me when she needs me. I'm on the bench right now. When she calls, okay, I'll be ready to do what you need. You got a honey-do list on the weekend. Great. No, don't do that. Just even take the kids out, just go out to a park, then go get a burger and fries. It's not going to be like all the time, but just go and do that. Let your spouse just hang out and just read a book at home, have a nice glass of wine. This is dad's day. Mom, go ahead, do whatever you need to do. But the biggest thing is just be vocal and share what you want to do and share how you want to help and just get that great communication going so everybody's on the same page and no one feels taken for granted and no one feels like they're not contributing enough. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to check out my website, www.drjacquelinecurr.com for your free guides to prevent burnout. Would you like to join a cohort of women like yourself who want to disrupt the status quo, but are facing constant barriers and like you are beginning to wonder whether your approach will even gain traction? Have you experienced the supportive environment of executive group coaching, knowing you're not alone, and learning from others' mistakes and strategies, but you want to have more concrete goals and measures of progress. In conjunction with my leadership training, I'm facilitating small groups of women executives in peer learning collaboratives. This is a scientific process that it's used in medicine when important new recommendations need to be put into practice and there's likely to be pushback. Peer learning collaboratives leverage the supportive environment of group coaching, but with more targeted goals, greater accountability, and a quality improvement process that measures impact through learning cycles. In my training, you'll learn five new evidence-based strategies to support your leadership confidence and credibility, including how to use macro and micro root cause problem solving, how to create culture change through daily behavior change, and how to manage change and burnout. The peer learning collaboratives will provide a safe environment for you to put your new skills and strategies into action while learning from other women leading similar change efforts in their organizations. As you face barriers, we will problem solve together, empowering you to use adaptive experimental processes to help you build more resilient and informed solutions. A peer learning collaborative has three phases. In the co-design phase, members are brought together from diverse areas to establish buy-in and shared ownership. Building trust is important in this phase through shared values and expectations, shared vision and goals, open communication channels, and conflict resolution processes. In the collaborative learning phase, The group process is further solidified through peer empowerment, accountability partners, and celebrating small wins. The experimental process then starts with needs assessments, behavior targets, logic modeling, and plan, do, study, act cycles. In the adaptation and scale phase, lessons from the learning phase are translated into best practice guidelines and operational toolkits. 
Case studies are shared and then champions are empowered to promote the findings and benefits to other units. How often do you find that you're trying to prevent the fires that men love to put out? You're spoiling their quick fixes and save the day hero-based approaches. Instead, you can see the forest and the trees. You want to disrupt the status quo with more collaborative, adaptable, long-term approaches that change how and why we work, bringing in flexibility and greater purpose. Yet your ideas are dismissed and the systems remain stuck, perpetuating bias and burnout. My training will give you the confidence and credibility to lead through change, manage change, and leverage change for transformational change. It will show you that your intuitive gendered intelligence is supported by tried and tested scientific frameworks, and it will provide you with more processes and tools to leverage that knowledge for greater impact and social good, based in public health science, behavior change science, and implementation science. Never before have we been through a global pandemic, racial reckoning, mental health epidemic, or great resignation. With a recession looming, post-pandemic stress levels are likely to remain high and resources low. Reports from Deloitte, Microsoft, Adeco, and Modern Health show that employees are dissatisfied with the current fix-the-person solutions and want to see transformational change in the organization itself. The need to lead with impact and provide return on investment is greater than ever in more uncertain, challenging, and complex times than ever. During these times of monumental change, there have been few guiding frameworks for leaders. There are not yet evidence-based solutions to these new emerging and urgent problems. So it's even more essential to use evidence-based processes to manage change. My behavior science tools will enable you to embrace complexity, lead through change, and manage the overwhelm. I want to help women leaders with a new playbook for compassionate and competent leadership in times of change and complexity, with evidence-based frameworks and strategies for moving beyond the status quo and leading the workforce of the future. When you join a peer learning collaborative, you'll gain confidence, camaraderie, and compassion for the challenges you face. We will use scientific tools and processes to guide our progress, use behavior change strategies to keep us on track, and key indicators of change to evaluate our impact. Over a 12-week period, you'll set goals for the changes you want to see in your organization. You'll operationalize them as behaviors. You'll prepare your organization for change by creating a safe learning and growth culture. You'll roll out and measure what is working and why and develop ways to overcome barriers to change. You'll share your progress and challenges with the other executive women in your cohort so they can benefit from your experience, so they can provide support and ideas for solutions, and so that together you can exponentially grow your learning, leveraging each other's adaptations and innovations to similar problems. The training and cohorts will be available in 2023. In the meantime, I've created a free masterclass to introduce you to the five key strategies because change can be scary and you still might be uncertain about what it takes. My five evidence-based leadership strategies are leading through complexity with compassion. 
understanding root causes and solving macro and micro problems using the social ecological model and lessons from public health. Leading with impact, identifying and operationalizing key change levers using behavior change science and strategies to create sustainable habits that change systems. Leading with insight, creating the conditions for a culture of change using psychological safety, emotional intelligence, rewarding daily behaviors, and empowering role models. Leading with curiosity, finding and testing new solutions for employee wellness, retention, and belonging using peer learning collaboratives as a supportive and science-based process for managing change and developing resilience. Leading with clarity, understanding and managing multifaceted burnout so you and those you lead can thrive through change using multi-level burnout solutions. If you're ready to start on a new leadership journey, I look forward to guiding you through this in my online course and supporting you in a peer learning collaborative. Please direct message me to get access to the free masterclass or sign up for the 2023 start. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Close your eyes, feel the power Everything that you need